You're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Hey Redeemer, good to be with you this morning. I hope you are doing well. Um, so want to um, continue in our series on Hebrews today. Today we'll be in chapter 12, the first, five, the first uh, four verses there. Um, and we'll figure out kind of a the good bit that we're going to be working through this morning. Um, so just to kind of pick up from the last couple of weeks, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11 talking about the hall of faith. Um, several different people that we've talked through, a few different things that we've worked through the last few weeks. But now we're going to talk to, we're going to kind of turn to instruction, the text um, our author in Hebrews turns to instruction, says, okay, now that we've talked about all of these different people over the last few verses, the last chapter, um, because of these examples, now we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The first little bit of chapter 12 is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to see, um, we're going to talk about running the race with endurance. So if you're taking notes, um, we'll, we'll kind of have it in two halves here. The first half is running the race. Um, we'll see that we're surrounded by witnesses. We're laying aside weights and sins. We're running with endurance and looking to Jesus. That will kind of get some more detail there. And then the second half is going to be talking about endurance, about how to run with endurance. We're going to be talking about the example of Jesus and what enduring faith looks like as well. So let me pray for us, and then we will dig right on into the text. We've got a lot going on, and um, I'm excited. So I hope, you're, I hope you'll be along for the ride with me. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, and thank you for the word. Um, thank you for the examples of faith that we've been walking through these last few weeks, and I pray that today we can start we can start um, understanding what you are calling us to do in examining these men and women of faith. I pray that we would um, would open our eyes to where you would be leading us. I pray that you would show us what um, faithful endurance looks like, what running this race looks like, and I pray that you would give us the joy of knowing you more deeply from this time. So I pray that the Spirit would be mighty that we would, um, we would have open hearts and open minds, and that you would send your word to do its work. It's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's talk through the first part here, the first half, running the race. Let's take a look at the, ver- at the first two verses here, um, which is saying Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's walk through these verses, and we'll um, see what the Lord has for us. So chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So first, let's let's kind of take a look at this. There's something very interesting going on in the language here in verse 1. If you notice, it says, let us also lay aside. It doesn't really make sense in context. It's kind of, it's at the beginning of a sentence. It would be like if I began this sermon by saying, and another thing. It's kind of abrupt. You're, there's something else that you're missing in there, right? So whenever we see something that seems awkward like this, especially in the ESV, the, the, kind of tries, the translation method tries to kind of smooth over some of these awkward things from Greek to English, we, it's best to take a deeper look at the commentaries and see if we can get an idea of what the Greek is saying here, what's going on in the text, and see why, it, why does it seem awkward here. So um, I want to kind of dive into some language a little bit. 
there's two things we're going to be talking about. They're going to be talking about participles and verbs. And if you're not an English person, it's totally fine. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. Um, participles are verb words that are used to modify things. They, they become adjectives or adverbs. They modify something. They look like verbs, but they're not. So if we see, for example, um, there's, there's three adverbial participles in verses 1 through 2. So there's um, the, the participles, the verb word, that's modifying another verb. So let's take a look here. In verses 1 through 2, we see three of these. Surrounded and lay aside and looking to Jesus. Those are three participles. If we look in the Greek, we can analyze the grammar there. Those are three participles. And then the main verb of this sentence, where we're going to spend some time today, the main verb of the sentence is let us run. So those three participles all modify let us run. So we're going to kind of talk about, that's why we've titled the sermon Running um, with Endurance. Let's talk about what this all means. So if we translate this sentence, if, if, you're, if your eyes glazed over there, okay, unglaze them and get tuned back into me. If, we've, if we can translate this sentence a little more literally, maybe a little more precisely, we can say something like this. Verse 1, Therefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I hope that kind of makes sense because that's the format that I'm going to be using and kind of how we're going to break this down um, as we move through this text. So you might think this is getting into the weeds too much on language, but it's important because we want to make sure we emphasize what the author intends to emphasize. And in this case, the main verb is what he really wants us to focus on. Let us run. That's the main verb. That's what we really want to focus on. But let's break it down and take it one step at a time. Um, let's see here, running the race, the first verse here, surrounded by witnesses. So the first clause that he says is being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So the sense that, so we're talking about chapter 11, the hall of faith. The sense is not that they're looking at us, but rather that we are looking to them for encouragement. We're not in a stadium filled with spectators, these heroes of the faith. We're not, they're, they're not watching us live and cheering us on. It's as though we're walking down a hall of fame with heroes of the faith, with the portraits of the faith who have finished their race, lining the walls of that hall. And now that we've reached the end of that hallway, we're turning and looking back and kind of reviewing what, what it was that we just walked by. So we're going to consider what we've just walked past. These are the witnesses of Christ before his incarnation. People who are, no, who are talking about and commenting and living lives of faith before they know who Jesus is. So we look to them. We're encouraged by their faith and their examples, and we learn from their sins and their mistakes. This is why... Um, if, you, if you've heard me preach ever hardly at all before, this is why I love to talk about Solomon. He's an amazing example of wisdom and leadership, but he's also an amazing example of what it looks like to reject the Lord and follow your sin as far as it will go. Consider the names of Hebrews 11. Consider the people throughout the Bible and learn from them. The Lord included them in Scripture for specific reasons. Listen to what he would have you understand. And I think you'll find two things. There's, there's really two kind of main things that you'll see there. First, there are many great sinners in the Bible, and they're called to repent. Some of them do. Second, there are many great saints in the Bible, and they run hard and fast after the Lord in obedience. So that's where the author of Hebrews is taking us next. Keeping in mind the cloud of witnesses that we've just discussed, here is what we should do. Laying aside weights and sins. That's the next participle down the line. So let's talk about laying aside every weight and sin which clings 
so closely. And I want to make it, at the outset of this, I want to make a difference between weights and sins. Let's define our terms very carefully here. The first one is weights, things that hinder us, but that aren't necessarily sinful. I'll, I'll do more on that in just a minute. The second is sins, behaviors, thoughts, motivations, words, anything that rejects the Lord's command of your life. And we see also in scripture, we see two different kinds of sins. We see sins of omission. So that means not, or sorry, sins of commission, which is doing what you shouldn't be doing, what the Lord has told you not to do. And you're doing that thing. The second thing is sins of omission. That's not doing what the Lord has told you to do. You're ignoring a command that he's told you. And one thing at the kind of, as we're differentiating these two different terms here, the ideas of weights and sins, I want to share with you a quote from Darren Patrick um, that I thought was very, very helpful um, that was just shared this past week. He, he said, We often get, thing, get sins and wounds confused. Sins are rebellious places in our heart that need repentance. Wounds are tender places in our heart that need healing. You can't repent of wounds, and you can't get therapy for sins. I think it's a very, very helpful thing to think through as we're kind of defining our terms and getting down the list here. So let's talk about weights. Weights, they're not necessarily sinful. They're, not, they're, not, they're different for everybody. They may be different for different people. They may be distractions or hindrances or shackles. Anything that keeps you from focusing on running your race with endurance. So you don't prepare to run a race by eating a whole pizza and strapping on some ankle weights. You don't smoke a pack of cigarettes and let yourself get dehydrated. You prepare. You carefully evaluate what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you listen to. You maintain focus and discipline. So when we're talking about laying aside weights, that's what we do. We're maintaining discipline and laying aside hindrances to our faith. So some examples of this. Often we can see hurts or baggage that we carry with us. Sometimes relationships that are toxic rather than life-giving, those can be weights. Maybe you need to lay those aside before sin takes root in your heart in that. Some material possessions require a lot of maintenance and attention. Maybe those resources could be more carefully and better used elsewhere. Maybe those are a weight that's kind of bogging you down. Some hopes and dreams can distract you from what the Lord is doing in your life. And I'm not talking about what God has called you and equipped you and, 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 and motivating you to go do. I'm talking about some daydream that you get distracted by and you lose focus on your life. So maybe, maybe you feel like you need your name in the marquee lights. Maybe that successful life you're living has you feuding like Hatfields and McCoys. And maybe it's time you get back to the basics of love. Maybe it's time you lay those weights aside so that you can run your race better with more endurance. So my question for you, my first question here is, what distracts you? What's holding you back from growing in your faith? What's hindering you from running your race well? Is there some pain or relationship or memory that you can't let go of? Do you have anything shameful or embarrassing in your life that you need to address? What about the things that you eat and drink, your work habits? Are you enslaved in any way? And let me tell you, this week I have been absolutely convicted over this, over what I've eaten, what, I'm, what is weighing me down. And I'd be happy to deal with this in a, in a less public setting, in a more personal way, but I've been absolutely convicted over what I've been doing this past week and over the last few months. Absolutely. So I'm right there with you in the middle of it. But what affects your health? What affects your emotions? What affects your family? 
these things may be weights for you. They're not necessarily sins, though they could be tied to sins, but weights that we need to lay aside. They're hindering you. They're weighing you down. They're rocks in your pack, rocks in your shoes, preventing you from running well. So we've talked about weights. Let's talk about sins. Sin is something to be repented of. It is rebellion against God, whether it's out in the open or hidden and quiet. It's choosing your own path and turning your back on God. It's driven by lies, by accusations, by by pride, by ultimately some kind of a theological wrongness. But sin clings closely to you. We see there's a good illustration that's in Genesis chapter 4. We see God tells Cain before he kills Abel that sin is crouching at his door, crouching at his door, and its desire is to overtake him, to overcome him, to take control of him. That is a good illustration of sin in your life and mine as well. That sin's desire is for us, to overtake us, to control us. So, brothers and sisters, wage war on sin. Lay your axe at its roots. It's not enough to whack around at the leaves and just modify behavior. By the grace of God, examine the leaves. Follow the branches back to the trunk of the tree. Trace that down to the roots and do your work there. If, you, if you've spent any time in West Texas, you know what a mesquite tree is. I grew up with mesquite trees all during my life. Um, and if you've ever tried to get rid of them, they're almost impossible to get rid of. Um, they're this massive overgrown weed that has these weird beans on it that has thorns, um, these weird little leaves. They're just this gross little bush in West Texas that is so difficult to get rid of. You cannot chop them down. I mean, you can chop it down, but it'll grow right back in just a few weeks. And try to dig them up doesn't work either. Um, their normal poisons don't work. They have this taproot system that goes super deep. Like, I mean, like absurdly deep for how tall a tree is. It's like twice as deep. It's crazy trying to get rid of one of these things. So what you have to do, if you want to kill a mesquite tree, you have to get an extremely strong poison, extremely potent, and lay that poison at its roots. That's the only way to get rid of mesquite trees. And you actually cut it with diesel. Uh, like you use like a gallon of diesel for like a cup of this stuff. It's crazy how, how it all works. That's the only way to get rid of mesquite trees. And the only way to kill sin is to starve, your, starve the roots of your sin. Don't give them room to breathe. Don't let up. Put your boot on your sin's neck and put what's causing you misery out of its misery. Consider the parable of the sower in Luke 8. We see if you want to give you some context to this. There's a man that's scattering seed on four different types of soil. And we can focus in, I'll I'll read verses 13 through 15 here. We see this man who's scattering seed, which is the word of God, out onto four different types of soil. And pick it up in verse 13. It says, and the ones on the rock are those who, so this is talking about one different type of soil. Um, This is talking about how they respond to the word. Um, There's two different types that we'll talk about today. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy but have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. Verse 14. And as for for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as soon as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Brothers and sisters, sins will make you fall away. 
weights will choke you, choke out your joy, your hope, your love, and your faith. And as for the sin, this is picking up in verse 15 of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So brothers and sisters, lay aside the, win- the weights and sins which cling so closely so that you may hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit for the glory of God. So my question, my next question is, what sins do you need to repent of? You may need help in identifying sins and working through repentance. And our elders and redemption group leaders, our counselors can help you. We won't judge you. We won't be freaked out by what you're saying. We've already seen some really dark things over the years. But we will skillfully and lovingly remind you of scripture and help you know the Lord more deeply. And if that sounds like discipleship, it's because it is. Biblical counseling is essentially discipleship, walking alongside of you in your seasons of trouble and reminding you of truth. So if you find in your life some darkness and you don't know what to do or who to talk to, talk to your community group leader. Come talk to an elder, and we'll be happy to help you. We'll be happy to point you in the right direction. So brothers and sisters, let's repent of our sin. Let's turn away from it. Lay it aside. Turn toward Christ and walk in freedom. So we talked about being surrounded by witnesses and laying aside weights and sins. Let's talk about running with endurance. The middle of verse 1 says, Let us run with endurance the race set before us. This is the main verb. This is the main focus of this sentence. This is the main focus of what we're going to talk through today. So let us run. Not walk, not mosey, not drag ourselves along. We run. So how do we run? With endurance, right? Test your, so, so, so how do you run with endurance, though? That's the question. And I, I'm not myself a runner. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, I, I hate running. I think it's uh, awful. But if I were to run with endurance, I need to ask myself, how do you run with endurance? So you, you test yourself. You practice. You pace yourself. You don't sprint and burn out the first mile or two or, I mean, in my case, like the first couple hundred yards, right? You begin with the end in mind. And you run so that you may obtain the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. You run so that you can win. A popular kind of cliche is saying that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint, right? But maybe let's reconsider all of that just a bit because it, it, sounds, it sounds almost cute. Like it should be on a coffee cup. You know, pace yourself. Slow and steady wins the race. But how do you pace yourself when it comes to your soul? How do you, I mean, are you saying, like, I don't want to get all this sanctification at once. i got to hold on to this temptation so I can really go the distance. I don't want to be too serious about my faith. Got to leave some room for improvement. (laughs) That, That sounds so strange to me. Pacing yourself. I think it's more like Alex Honnold. Um, This is the guy, if you've watched the documentary Free Climb, or a free solo, I should say. This is the guy who free climbed up the face of El Capitan by himself. No ropes, no harness, just a chalk bag and like ambition. Like that's all he had. This is, um, if, you, if you watch the documentary Free Solo, it's, it, is, it is a simply amazing thing. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, anyway, this dude, he's climbing up the face of El Capitan. He clings to the rock like his life depends on it. 
because it does. He has no harnesses, no ropes, nobody belaying him, nobody checking on him. It's just him climbing. But he's not fearful or trembling or sweating. He's just calm and focused and confident. The exact opposite of what I would be in that exact same situation. There's no way I could maintain that kind of composure. But he's measured. He plans. He obsesses over every single move up this 3,200-foot climb. Each handhold, each foothold, every inch, every move, painstakingly laid out in a journal and then memorized and practiced with ropes before he does it live. He talks with his friends. He gets perspective from people who are experienced. He lives and breathes climbing. He maintains a a laser focus on his goal. So his fitness, his diet, his gear, he even lives in a van so that he can chase the seasons and get in all the climbing that he can. So he'll, he'll live in one area inside this van at a rock place, and then he'll travel, if the weather turns bad, he'll travel to another place and get all the rock climbing in. He just chases the seasons, chases the weather, so that he can get all the rock climbing in that he possibly can. His life is dedicated to climbing. And at every step of the way, so when, when it's time to put his faith on the line, he steps up with confidence and delivers the performance of a lifetime. And at every step of the way, his life is hanging in the balance, literally hanging in the balance. And every move has to be perfect. No matter what he feels like or wants to think about, he remains dialed into the task at hand. And when it's all over, he climbs for four hours. No harness, nobody holding a rope, just a guy climbing up a 3,200-foot rock face. That's how we have to see the race set before us. No ropes, no do-overs, no second chances in this life. We get one shot. And we, can, we should consider this life living for the Lord as the highest calling of humanity, the true purpose of humanity, and we should pursue it with everything that we have. So consider, what is hindering you? What's blurring your vision, causing you to lose focus? Consider your fitness, your diet, your gear. What spiritual disciplines do you, what do spiritual disciplines look like for you in your life? What is your spiritual fitness level? Do you pray? What is your diet? What are you consuming? Do you read your Bible? Are you reading edifying things? What kind of gear do you have? Do you have what you need to help you grow? Do you have the relationships, the tools, the scriptures, the books, whatever it is that you need to help pour life into you? Do you have those things? Do you have the gear? And then consider the decisions that you make, the relationships that you have, and the way that you steward your life because your life depends on it. We have one life to live and eternity awaits. And this life is a short climb. Alex Honnold took four hours to climb up El Capitan. We get 80 years on this planet if we're fortunate. So before you think, before you start thinking that I'm hypocritical, which I am, or that I'm being extreme in my thinking, let's think about for a minute what Jesus has to do with all of this. So verse 2, let's take a look here. Now that we've talked about running with endurance, let's talk about looking to Jesus. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So looking to Jesus. We can't run this race out of endurance and out of our own strength. We, we can't endure that long. We just don't have what it takes. But the way that we can run with endurance, the way that we do, lay, the way that we lay aside weights and sins which cling, which cling to us, and the thing that the cloud of witnesses is testing, testifying about is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we look to Jesus, the Word incarnate, because he has run the race for us. He stood in our place. He substituted himself in a way that no Old Testament figure could. They were faithful, but he was the substance of their faith. He was unhindered by sin. He lived a perfect life. He was obedient to the point of death. He ran his race perfectly, and he gave up his life as a ransom for many sinners, dying the death that was meant for us. So he bore the cross, which is a disgraceful way of dying. Naked, bloodied, um, enduring excruciating pain reserved only for the worst who were deemed unfit to live. And it was the greatest suffering in history. Not just physical suffering, but also bearing the weight of sin and the wrath of God. The greatest weight we could ever in, in history that's ever been born. And he despised that shameful death. He didn't even take it into account. That's what despised me. He didn't even take it into account when considering his obedience and faithfulness to the Father's will. Why? For the joy set before him. The joy of bringing many into the kingdom of God. The joy of being in the Father's will and following through with it. And he rose again because death couldn't hold him. And he reigns in heaven as the one who has given us faith and who has, who has also guaranteed the fulfillment of our faith, the author and perfecter is how it reads in verse 2. So you and I cannot run the race perfectly. We cannot free climb perfectly. If we trust ourselves, we will plummet to our deaths because we cannot be perfect. But the good news this morning is that Christ has already been perfect. He has gone before us and secured the, our place in heaven. That is how he is the author of our faith. He's the cornerstone on which the foundation is laid. He is the alpha. And he has also sent the Holy Spirit to help us. God himself as our advocate, our helper, who guides us on this journey. That's how he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the capstone, the pinnacle of our faith. He's the omega. So we look to Jesus as we journey toward heaven. We follow his example as we look beyond our present hardships and trials to the reward promised in heaven. So my question again, are you looking to Jesus? Is he who you're trusting? Is he who you're looking to? Is he who you're following? Or are you following some weight or sin? Are you following some ambition? Be following some desire of your heart that may be wrong. Who are you following? Who is your faith in? So we've talked about running the race with endurance, and now we've talked about running the race now. Let's talk about endurance. So verse 3 here. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So verse 3 Consider Jesus endured hostility from sinners. This consider word, when it's talking about consider, it's not, just, it's not just saying to think about him. It means to hold him up and to emulate him, to keep him at the forefront of your mind, to really focus on him. That hostility resulted in, G, in death for Jesus. 
which is a faith similar to the others in the Hall of Faith here in chapter 11. So when we talk about observing Jesus and emulating our lives, it may result in hostility. It may result in death. It may result in difficult, difficult things for us. But the reason that we consider him, the reason that we understand that that may be the case is in the second half of verse 3 here, so that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection are meant to be a capstone to chapter 11. All of these examples of faithfulness and endurance are meant to spur us on, to encourage us toward godliness and perseverance. So don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep running one foot at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time, one decade at a time. So if you're breathing, if your heart is still beating, you still have an opportunity to worship the Lord. So use it. You're breathing now. Use that breath to worship the Lord. Life is full of hard things because sin exists and we are sinners. But faithful Christians should not grow weary or faint-hearted because of the hope that we have in Christ. And certainly, certainly, you and I, we all struggle with a host of sins and weights and hard things this side of eternity. But that's what hope is for. We hope in Christ. We hope in the salvation given to us. We hope in the resurrection to come. And we hope for an eternity in heaven with our Lord. That is our hope. So this last verse here, verse 4, talk about enduring faith. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So those who are reading this letter, the, the letter to the Hebrews, those who are reading this letter haven't yet been called upon to die for their faith. And if you're hearing my voice, if you're seeing this, you haven't yet been called upon to die for your faith either. Your main struggle is with sins, with sin and its effects, not with those who want to silence you or kill you. But would you be willing to die for your faith? Is that something that you would entertain? Are you willing to run this race with endurance, even if it costs you your life? I don't know what the future holds for us. I don't know if we will face true persecution at some point or not. We have a lot of wonderful protections in this country which afford us a great deal of freedom, but the U.S. has only been around for 250 years, give or take. And if you recall, Israel started off in good shape in Egypt, but 400 years later, the situation had changed completely. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what is coming for us. But no matter what this life has for us, no matter how hard the race is, we know that heaven awaits us if we follow faithfully. And if we know that Christ has run it perfectly for us, we know that Christ has run it perfectly for us, so we also look to him. Looking to Jesus is the key to running this race with endurance. And while we look to him, we lay aside sins and hindrances, trusting the Holy Spirit. And we don't run by ourselves. We have each other. We all have our own race to run, but praise God that he's given us brothers and sisters, witnesses of past, but also current witnesses as well, to run alongside, to encourage each other, to bear each other's burdens, and to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. So praise God that he's provided those things for us.